Um, we are in a series Welcome right now that Church's we've simply podcast. called we The Classics. You know and what this is endeavoring to do to learn more is about to go back Church, into the, the Old Testament and begin to blow the dust off some stories that are pertinent to your life here today in 2022. Um, I think a lot of times if we're as New Covenant, New Testament believers, we can spend a lot of time in the New Testament, which we should. Um, but the whole counsel of the Word of God wants to speak to your life. And so we've been going back. Pastor Brandon kicked it off last week with an amazing uh, message on Samson. If you didn't get to check that out, please go check it out. It's available. Uh, but today, before I introduce you to the character that we're going to look at, I want to take you to the scriptures. Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, totally okay. I brought one for you to my right and to my left. It says this. 2 Samuel 9, we're going to read quite a bit of scripture. It says, David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear, appear before David, and the king said to him, are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, is there anyone still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame, though, in both of his feet. Where is he, King David asked. Ziba answered, he's at the house of Maker, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David brought him from Lodabar, from the house of Maker, son of Amiel, when Mephibosheth, there is the character we are looking at this morning, Mephibosheth. And I came here to, to help you sound like a theologian and a pro. If you go to your Bible study this week and you whip out Mephibosheth, they are going to think you are a theologian, okay? If you can pronounce it, you're a theologian, okay? When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. And Mephibosheth will always eat at my table. This morning, around this passage of scripture, for the next couple of moments, I wanna preach a message that I'm simply calling this. Stop squirming. Stop squirming. I know that that may not make a lot of sense to you at this very moment in our journey, but I'm praying that by the end of it, God uses it powerfully in your life. I'm really praying that God would speak something tailor-made to you. You realize that's how good our God is, that in an auditorium full of hundreds of people, God can say something just to you, and I believe he's going to this morning. I'm preaching a message I'm calling Stop squirming. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you right now for the moments that we share in your house and around your word. Lord, I pray that you would, that you'd meet us in a special way today. Lord, I thank you for those who feel forgotten, for those who feel overlooked, for those who feel broken, for those who feel like damaged goods. Lord, I thank you that you are coming to the place they need you most. It might, it might not be the place they think you want to go to, but it's the place you 
need to go to. And Lord, I pray we just give you full permission to go there this morning. Lord, meet us in that low place. Meet us in our place of brokenness this morning because we know when you meet us there, you never leave us there. And I thank you for it right now. Lord, put me on like a glove and do your thing. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. And everybody said, come on. Amen. 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 Um, Are you prone to sunburns? I know it's a weird transition, okay? But are you prone to sunburns? I'm going to be honest with you. I am prone uh, to sunburns because there are white people and then there's me, okay? I fall under a category called translucent, okay? I am translucent. I am borderline see-through, okay? My wife has helped me. She provides me with fake tanner that's organic so that I don't look, you know, absolutely weird under these lights. I forgot to put it on, so I'm translucent today, okay? Transparently translucent. And so um, I, I get burned a lot. It makes living in West Texas extremely hard. It really does. Um, but I remember the, the time I got the worst sunburn from the sun. Now, the time I got burned the worst that was not from the sun, I may tell you about another time because it's a ridiculous story, okay? But the time I got burnt by the sun the worst, I was, I was 19 years old. You have to understand, I'm 27 years old now. I'm a grown man. I got one wife and two chest hairs. Say something to me, bro, okay? I'm a grown man. But I was 19, and um, I remember we, we went on this family vacation, and we went, to, uh, we went on a cruise to the Bahamas. Went on a cruise to the Bahamas. We were having some, some stuff happening right now. The devil's in the details. Okay. But um, went to this cruise on the Bahamas, uh, went, went on a cruise to the Bahamas. And I remember that we ported at this beach the first day, and I got off on this beach, and I, I, I talked myself into doing the thing 12-year-old me said he would never do. And that was, I decided to swim shirtless, okay? 12-year-old me swore up and down that he was never gonna swim shirtless because there's two things that are true about Clarks, okay? We love Jesus and we have love handles, okay? (laughs) It's just the truth. So I was like, I am never swimming shirtless. This is not happening. But I decided I'm in a foreign country. I'll risk it for the biscuit. Let's do it, okay? So all of a sudden, I, I, I rip the shirt off, and we're running around there in the, in the, you know, in the Bahama sun, and we're you know, playing in the water. And all of a sudden, about eight hours later, we get back on the cruise ship. And I don't know about you, but artificial lighting tends to show you things that like the natural light never did. I got under the artificial lighting, and I realized just how much damage <laughs> had been done. I was like, I'm roasted, okay? And this was the first day of family vacation. We have five more days of this, okay? Five more days. So I remember I, I, I begin to think, okay, what does, what does a, a 19-year-old, self-sufficient, responsible man do in a situation like this? And I was like, go find your dad, okay? So all of a sudden, I begin to scour the ship, and I'm looking for my dad. I waddle down the hallway to his cabin, and I knock on the door, you know, making sure none of my body touches another part of my body. I knock on the door. He opens it, and I'm like, dad, I'm roasted. He was like, yeah, you are, son. <laughs> yeah, you are. I said, what do I do? This is the first day of family vacation. We got five more days. He says, you're in luck. I packed an extra swim shirt, okay? He throws the shirt at me, and all of a sudden, I take it back to my room. We wake up the next day, and we've poured it at the famous Atlantis Resort, okay? Now, I grew up, I'm, I'm a kid of like the early 2000s, born in the 90s, but I've been told I can't claim I'm a 90s kid because I was like five years old in 99 or whatever it was. 
But I grew up, and I grew up watching commercials, right? That's something uh, children don't get nowadays, commercials. And I remember the commercial for the famous Atlantis Resort. And in this montage they have, you know, of trying to get people to, to cave and buy a trip there, they had this amazing, iconic water slide, okay? And this water slide went straight down, and then it shoots you into a clear tube. And the clear tube goes underwater. And the water the clear tube is submerged in is shark-infested. This is like my dream, okay? I've been waiting well over a decade to weather this slide. So all of a sudden, you know, I grab Weston and Carson, my two younger brothers, and I'm like, we're finding this slide. So I slap my swim shirt on provided by my daddy. And all of a sudden, I'm running through this water park and we find this slide, we get in line. And as we're going through this line, now I'll tell you, I have grown emotionally, spiritually, relationally since this moment, okay? But just to be transparent, in this moment, I'm sitting in this, this line and I am absolutely talking trash to my brothers okay i'm sitting there like boys you better watch me go down this slide i said in fact you don't need to watch it you'll read about it next year in the guinness book of world records for fastest water slider and you can read it while you're waiting in our church lobby for your pastoral counseling appointment because you're going to suffer from condemnation when you see me go down this slide huh? i'm just talking all sorts of trash to them right so we're sitting there wait in line get to the top all of a sudden, I sit down. It's my turn. I'm waiting for the little lifeguard to give me the go. And all of a sudden, the lifeguard gets his signal that it's safe for me to go down the slide. He goes, go, man. And I go, okay. I grab the bar, and I yell this at the top of my lungs. I yell, see you at the bottom, boys. I grab the bar. I fling myself forward. I cross my arms and my legs, and you just hear this noise. And I am stuck on this slide. I'm stuck water shooting all around me like I've been waterboarded. It's horrible. You can get anything out of me that way. So all of a sudden, I'm sitting there. I'm panicking. The lifeguard's looking at me. He's like, what's up with these Americans? Like, my Lord. He's looking at me. What's going on? And all of a sudden, he goes, hey, I think your shirt is stuck on the slide. I said, what? He said, I think your shirt is stuck on the slide. So all of a sudden, I start doing this little number, trying to pull it clean. Have you ever tried to pull wet clothes off of you? The notebook made it look easy. It is not, okay? I'm sitting there trying to pull these wet clothes away from me, and so it's not working. So all of a sudden, I just start flopping, right, to the edge of this slide till finally gravity does what God created it to do, and it takes me down the slide. It shoots me into the clear tube. I see the sharks. It's this whole amazing experience, and I still have not lived it down to this day. But I tell you that story to show you this right here. It wasn't my sunburn that got me stuck. Let me say it like this. It wasn't my pain that held me back. It was what I put on my pain that held me back. And I think there are many of us in here this morning that are convinced the reason we can't move forward is 110% due to the pain we have experienced when in reality, it is how you are responding, how you are dealing, how you are self-medicating your own pain that is holding you back in a way the pain itself never could. I think many of us would love to believe it's just our pain when in reality, it is how we respond to our pain. I wanna ask you this morning, how are you dealing with your pain? How are you coping with your pain? What are you doing to self-medicate the brokenness 
in your life because I have a hunch that may be a bigger issue than the pain itself. And if there's anybody in all of scripture outside of Jesus Christ himself who is familiar with pain, I think our boy Mephibosheth here in 2 Samuel 9 is familiar with pain. We darkened the doorstep of 2 Samuel 9 to find King David. Now, for those of you, I don't want to leave anyone out this morning, don't want to make any assumptions. But King David, if you're unfamiliar, he's the little shepherd boy who took down a giant called Goliath, okay? He took him down, and then years later, he became king. And now in this moment, in 2 Samuel 9, he's been king for a while. We see King David, he's perusing his celestial halls of his palace, and he says, you know what? Is there anyone from the house of Saul that I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? Is there anyone still alive out of the house of Saul that I can be kind to for Jonathan's sake? Now we have to ask ourselves at this juncture, why can't he just be nice to Jonathan or be nice to Saul? And here's the sad truth, is that in this moment, Saul and Jonathan, they're both dead. They've died. They died in the same battle, on the same battlefield, on the same day. This father-son duo have died. And this is what I want to show you. Even though Jonathan is no longer with him, even though Jonathan's days are over, Jonathan lives such a big life that even after he is dead, David still feels like he needs to bless somebody connected to him. He's looking for somebody. You know, Jonathan lives such a big life. I want to just bless anybody connected to him. And can I tell you, that is the legacy God wants you to leave. That's the legacy God wants you to leave behind is that you live such a big life. You go above and beyond. You, you go the links it takes to actually meet people where they're at so that when your days are gone, your impact is not. That's the legacy God has for you. Living a life that's bigger than you. Living ripple effects that continue to change and, and shake generations even though you're not here. This is the life Jonathan lived, and he's gone. But David says, man, he blessed me so deeply. I just want to bless somebody connected to him. So he begins to look, and he finds this guy who used to be a servant in the house of Saul. His name is Ziba. And he asks Ziba, he says, Ziba, come here. I got a question. Is there anybody still alive from the house of Saul that I can show the kindness of God to? Ziba sits there. He begins to think, man, who is still around? Is there anybody? And then all of a sudden it comes to him. There's still one guy alive. There's still one guy. His name is Mephibosheth, but you have to understand King David, he's related to Saul, but he doesn't look like Saul. You have to understand Saul, the first king of Israel, the Bible says he was heads and shoulders taller than anyone else. He was this strapping, obvious kingly figure. Ziba's like, yeah, he, he's connected to Saul. And David begins to go, well, what, what, what's up with him? And he says, Ziba says this, he says, he's a cripple. His feet don't work. He's lame in both of his feet. Now, if we were to just jump into 2 Samuel 9, say this was the, the portion of scripture selected to you by the Bible app that you're going to read today. All of a sudden you begin to read 2 Samuel 9, you could easily begin to make assumptions as to what happened to Mephibosheth. Because listen to me, 2 Samuel 9 doesn't tell us how he got crippled. And so we're forced to make assumptions. And I think the first assumption we could easily make is, oh, he's, pro he's probably born that way. Or honestly, if you're going to make the assumption most of us make, you'd probably go, he must have done something stupid to end up in this predicament. 
He must have been up too late, had too much to drink, and was driving too fast. Ended up in some accident. You made your bed, bud. You got to lie in it. It would be easy for us to begin to make assumptions as to how Mephibosheth got in this condition. But listen to me. If we were to no longer make assumptions and we were to actually begin to turn back the pages of 2 Samuel 9, or excuse me, 2 Samuel, we would find out what actually happened to Mephibosheth. And listen to me, that is our problem in the church, is that we meet people in a particular juncture in their life, and we're, we see a good look at their brokenness, and we quickly begin to make assumptions as to why they are the way they are. We go, oh, you're like that because you're an idiot who was raised by another idiot, who was raised by another idiot. You're that way because you choose to be. And listen to me, I am not negating the consequences of people's choices, but not everyone is where they are by choice. We can make assumptions rather than taking time to turn back the pages of people's stories. So if we parked our story here in 2 Samuel 9 and we turn back, listen to me, just five chapters to 2 Samuel 4, this is what we find about Mephibosheth. 2 Samuel 4, verse 4 says this. Let's throw it up. Saul's son, Jonathan, had a son named Mephibosheth who was crippled as a child. He was five years old. Listen to me, just five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. Listen to this part, don't miss this. When the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled. But as she hurried away, she dropped him, and he became crippled. So all of a sudden, if we quit making assumptions as to how Mephibosheth got in his condition, we see that Mephibosheth wasn't born a cripple, and he didn't do anything to himself to become a cripple. No, we see that he was, he was dropped. And notice, it wasn't just by some random person. It was by his nanny. It was by the person he trusted to carry him. Have you ever been dropped by someone you trusted to carry you? Have you ever been dropped by someone who swore up and down you could trust their arms? You ever been dropped by someone you trusted? Mephibosheth has. I have. And notice this. Not only is he dropped by someone he trusted, he's dropped as a child and now crippled as an adult. Whew. I think if we were to get really honest this morning, there are many of us in here today who are still limping as adults from ways that we were dropped as children. Limping through life because of a way when we were young, someone dropped us. All of a sudden you're six years old and your parents get a divorce and you're dropped by the divorce never to recover to this day. All of a sudden, you're eight years old and you go over to your uncle's house and all of a sudden, the man who was entrusted to look after you takes advantage of you. And now you've got patterns, deficiencies, brokenness in your life today that you can trace back to that moment that he dropped you. I don't know how you were dropped, but I know in one way or another, We've all been dropped. We've all been let down. We've all been 
completely and totally abandoned by someone who promised they never would. Maybe when you were a kid, you were playing some childhood game and you crawl underneath your dad's side of the bed for a hiding spot only to stumble across his pornographic magazine stash. And in that moment, an addiction bit you and it still has its fangs in your jugular to this day. I don't know how you were dropped, but I know in one way or another, we've all been dropped. One way or another, we are limping as adults through ways that we were dropped as a young person. And listen to me, I came with good news this morning. If that is you, if you are resonating with what I'm talking about, if I am right now walking you back to a place you'd like to forget, I'm here to tell you right now, there's real hope. There's real freedom and you no longer have to cope with the six cycles that have perpetuated the illness. There's a healer. You don't got to stay in this condition. You're a victim. But listen to me, Jesus doesn't come to make us professional victims and learn how to manipulate and use our victim mentality. No, he wants to heal that place of victimhood. Oh, he wants to make you more than an overcomer. But we've got to get honest about how we were dropped. Mephibosheth was dropped. So all of a sudden we see that David gets this news that Mephibosheth is dropped. And notice this, David doesn't flinch at at the sound of Mephibosheth's crippled state. Can I tell you this morning, God does not flinch at all by the things you think disqualify you. God is not counting you out by the things you think he's counting you out by. David doesn't even flinch. He doesn't go, oh, I was kind of hoping we could, we could find somebody with a little less brokenness. I was kind of hoping we could find someone with a little less baggage. Are you sure there's no one else? He doesn't, he doesn't bat an eye. He says, where is he? So all of a sudden, Ziba begins to tell King David, he says, well, actually, he's living with Maker, the son of Amiel. Now, I don't have time to tell you about this cat named Amiel. I don't have time to show you how Mephibosheth living with Maker, son of Amiel, is, is showing us something very significant because Amiel was one of the 12 spies who went into the promised land, but he was not Joshua or Caleb, which makes him one of the 10 who came back with a negative report. I don't have time to show you how this is Mephibosheth keeping company with people who never speak the promises of God, who never remind him who Jesus is, who never remind him that there's a healer to his brokenness. I don't have time to show you how Mephibosheth's company was keeping him crippled. I don't got time for that because there's something even deeper that I want to show you here. And it's the place that Mephibosheth lives. It's called Lodabar. He's living in Lodabar. And as I began to study, I found this out and it blew me away. That Lodabar means this. Are you ready? It means no pasture. No pasture. It means pastureless. It means wasteland. For those of you who crawled out from under your rock this morning here in West Texas and you came to church and you don't know what a pasture is, let me break it down for you. A pasture is a plot of land where animals like sheep, oxen, cattle, they would, they would go to graze. It's a place of provision. It's a place of sustenance. It's a place of growth. And Mephibosheth is living in a place where there's no sustenance. There's no provision. There's no growth. And here's the kicker. He's the grandson of King Saul. That makes him royalty. He's got royal blood flowing in his veins. He was born for the palace, but he settled in a place that doesn't even have a pasture. Born for the palace but settle for a place that's 
low and beneath him. And some of you could be like, Kenan, that's great for Mephibosheth, but I ain't exactly from royalty. Oh, you are wrong. Because my Bible says that you are made in the image of God. My Bible also says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Listen to me. You have royal DNA flowing through your body, yet for whatever reason, you have settled for your own Lodabar. You settled for your own place where there's not a pasture when you were born for the palace. The enemy has done a number on you. He settled for no pasture. But listen to this. It gets better not only does Lodabar mean no pasture, it means no word. <laughs> no word. You know you are living in Lodabar when you are living like the word of God spoken over you is no longer true. When you are living like the word of God over your life is now null and void, it's done, it's deleted, it's canceled because of some asinine decision that you made. I came here to tell you, when God spoke that word, he knew who he was talking to. He already factored in your stupidity. He already factored in your hormones. He already factored in those dumb nights and those dumb decisions. And it's still true. His promise still stands. God already knew. But when we step off the word, guess what? We step in to Lodabar. And I wanted to ask you this morning, how long have you been living in Lodabar? How long have you been living in Lodabar? How long have you been living in a place that's beneath you? I think Lodabar is literally defined by the name. You lowered the bar. You've lowered the bar. You completely, you say, God, this is all I'm, this is all I'm good for. I'm just damaged goods. Look at my past. Look at my rap sheet. Look at my archive. It's explicit, God. God says, no, 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 my child. You're not the bar. <laughs> I am. The bar was never based on you. It's placed on you. My love is not based on you. It's placed on you. How long have you been living in Lodabar? So all of a sudden, we see that Mephibosheth is in Lodabar. And you could be here this morning thinking, Kenan, I would love to leave Lodabar. I'd love to leave this place, but how? And I think the, the way we find out how to leave Lodabar is in how Mephibosheth himself left Lodabar. It says this in 2 Samuel 9, verse 5. It says, and King David sent and brought him from the house of Maker, son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Notice, David sent his men to pick Mephibosheth's crippled body up and carry it to the palace. And this is the first thing I want you to see is this, is you can't get yourself out of Lodabar. You can't get yourself out of Lodabar. And some of you, you are currently, right now as I'm talking, lying to yourself, telling you can do it. Listen, you've gotten your PhD in trying. Some of you have been trying for years and years and years. I'm here to tell you, if you could have by now, you would have by now. You cannot pull yourself. Pastor Brandon hit on Samson last week when, he had, when they shaved his mane, the Philistines that were upon him, and he thought to himself, I'll get up and I'll shake myself free. No, you won't. You're no match for the powers of hell. For the urges of sin and sexual temptation, you will not overcome it and you'll never overcome it on your own. You cannot get yourself out of Lodabar. And this is what I want you to see is when you get honest that you're in Lodabar, God has permission to enter your Lodabar because God can't pull you out of somewhere you won't admit you actually are. God can't pull you out 
somewhere you won't admit you actually are. He had to get honest about where he was and be willing to be met there. But this is the second thing I want you to see is Mephibosheth had to be willing to be carried again. Let's think about how did he get in this predicament? He was carried. The very thing that got him into Lodabar got him out of Lodabar. And I think sometimes God meets us in our low place and asks us to subject ourselves to a place of vulnerability that hurt us last time, but trust because it's him this time. God didn't drop you, they did. And God is not asking you to trust their hands. He's asking you to trust his. The first step in your journey of healing is trusting that God actually knows how to meet you where you're at. Woo! So, so all of a sudden they meet Mephibosheth and they pick him up and they carry him to the palace. And if I could have somebody come and play behind me, I'm gonna start closing here. They meet him in the palace. They meet King David. King David walks out and he looks at Mephibosheth standing there. And he says, are you Mephibosheth? King, Mephibosheth, yes, I, I'm actually, I'm, I'm your servant. And David says this, he says, well, actually, let's just read it. Verse seven, David said to him, do not fear, for I will show, surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of your father, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. And you shall eat at my table always. Man, I got to this point in the scripture. I got to this part and all of a sudden I began to, I began to have a party because all of a sudden I realized this story is the gospel. That all of a sudden the king pulls him out of his low place and brings him to the place he could never bring himself and then sets him up for the rest of his life. I'm here to tell you that is the gospel, my friend. It's that Jesus will meet you right where you are. He will meet you in Lodabar, but he will not leave you there and it will bring you to his banqueting table. No, you don't deserve it. No, you haven't earned it. That's the gospel that Jesus put on skin and bone, that he put on human flesh so that he could do for your human flesh what it can't do for itself. And that's live a perfect, sinless life, that he would live the life you couldn't live and he would die the death you should have died so he could stand on the other side and offer you freedom from that place you thought you'd never get out of. Saying, trust me, son. Will you let me into your Lodabar? Will you let me into that place? I know you think I wouldn't accept you. I know you think I'm disgusted. You're gonna find out it's quite the opposite. Will you let me into your Lodabar? And the crazy thing is this, is I would expect that Mephibosheth would have leapt for joy in this moment if he could. I would expect that he would get all sorts of jazz, begin to be thankful for this opportunity. But notice this, notice this, notice this. Mephibosheth's response to this invitation we find in verse eight. It says, and Mephibosheth pay, paid him homage and said this, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog like me? He's saying, who am I? Who am I to dine with you? Who am I to be at your table? I'm a dead dog. This is who I am. And this just doesn't compute. How could you let a dead dog sit at your table? Who am, he's saying, who am I? What have I done? to deserve this. And what I love is the way David answers him. He doesn't answer him. He completely ignores. And I began to wonder, why would David ignore? Why wouldn't he 
speak to this. And it's because he already had. Remember, David said this, is there anyone from the house of Saul that I can show the kindness of God to for Jonathan's sake? For Jonathan's sake, who's Jonathan? Mephibosheth's father. Mephibosheth's father. Listen to me this morning, my friend. You were not invited to the table because of anything you've done, because you somehow resurrected yourself from being a dead dog, and now you're some prize-winning breed. That is not why you've been invited to the table. You have been invited to the table because of who your father is. You've only been invited to the table because of the faithfulness of your father that even though, yes, there's nothing clappable about you, there's nothing worth celebrating about you. Listen to me, someone did something for you. Somebody lived a life you couldn't live. Somebody walked a road you literally, Mephibosheth, could not walk. And now you're reaping the benefit of the life your father lived. I'm here to tell you, you are invited to the table this morning because of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with your performance. It has nothing to do with your pedigree. It has nothing to do with your history, whether it's spick and span or it, it, it is unmentionable. It has nothing to do with you. It is all because of who your father is. And this is what I wanted to show you. Mephibosheth in this moment is squirming. He's squirming at the invitation of King David. I felt like God told me there were gonna be people in here this morning who God's trying to pick you up out of your Lodabar and you are squirming in his arms. You're saying, God, who am I? God, get away from me. God, I don't deserve this. God, I deserve to stay in that pit. I deserve to stay addicted. I deserve to get divorced. I deserve this, God. God's saying it was never about what you deserved. Would you stop squirming and take a seat? Stop squirming and take the seat my son provided for you. And right now with every head bowed and every eye closed, just for a moment of privacy and concentration, I want to give somebody a moment to say yes to the free gift of love and grace that only Jesus offers. If you would say, Kenan, you've been preaching to me today. I am Mephibosheth. I've never acknowledged the free gift of grace, the free gift of love, the free gift of forgiveness that Jesus has extended to me. And I need to right now. I need to let him into my loader bar and let him pull me out. If you would say, Kenan, I want to get saved. I want to become a Christian. I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. Here in a moment, I'm going to ask you, you to raise your hand. But I also feel there are some people who you would say you are a believer. But for whatever reason, you've still settled for loader bar. You're saved. This isn't, this isn't a salvation issue anymore. It's a freedom issue. And for whatever reason, you're living with royal DNA in Lodabar. And I feel the Lord saying, let me into that place, my son. Let me into that place, my daughter. And if you would say, that's me. I need Jesus afresh today. If you fall within one of those two categories, I'd just like you to raise your hand at the count of three. One, God loves you. Two, now's your moment. Come on, three, right now. I mean, let me pray for you. Come on, don't stand between you and your seat. The only thing standing between you and where God's called you is the fact that you insist on standing. Let me pray for you this morning. A hand's going up all over this auditorium. Lord, I thank you right now that love, that grace, that forgiveness right now is penetrating each heart that has its hand raised to heaven. Lord, I thank you that that hand represents a heart that is just yielded to you, that is completely and totally surrendering to you. And Lord, I thank you that you are faithful 
to do for them what they cannot. Lord, move in a mighty way. Lord, I thank you that my Bible says when the enemy comes in like a flood, you raise up a standard against him. And that standard is your finished work on the cross. I have forced that right now in Jesus' name. I call them saved. I call them secure. I call them yours right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's put our hands together for what Jesus did this morning. Would you stand to your feet? We're gonna, I'm gonna pray a blessing over you. We're gonna have some of our prayer partners available up here at the front. They'd love to stand in agreement with you. They'd love to stand and pray over you for anything specific going on in your life. One of the worst things you can do is have a moment like this and then walk out of here and never actually let somebody into your Lodabar. You've just let God in, let somebody else in. It wasn't just David by himself who got Mephibosheth out. It was his entire team. Let God's team into your life so he can begin to, move in a mighty way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for everyone under the sound of my voice, those in this room and those online listening right now. Lord, I thank you that as they go out of here, they are blessed beyond measure. Lord, that your face shines upon them, that your favor goes before them. Lord, I thank you that they would remember they are the head and not the tail. They are above, not beneath. They are the lender, never the borrower. They are a victor and never a victim. And Lord, I thank you for it right now that they go out of here knowing that you're with them. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.